Hello, hello everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Palace Way podcast. I'm Alex and I'm joined as always by my co-host Bruno. How are you doing, mate? Yeah, not too bad. Obviously a lot better now. Palace have a second win under their belt this season. How about you? Yeah, not too bad, thank you. And from a Palace perspective, yeah, thank fuck for that. Um, so, as I'm sure that you're already well aware, Palace fired themselves to a 2-1 victory against a fairly dogged lead side, actually. And we'll get onto this in more detail as the show goes on. But um, a huge result for Patrick Vieira's team at the start of a great run. And, you know, it's something that's symbolic, I think, of what we can expect from this team again. it's it's We saw even like time-wasting and these little things that seem to just indicate we were back on track in it in the positive direction but as always there's no such thing as a perfect performance and I'm sure we'll have plenty of nuanced takes to look at in terms of what could be improved and what we can ultimately learn from such an important victory but speaking of victory I mean it didn't really look that way did it to start with Bruno take me through the start of the game which uh, I think I'm speaking for many when I say it was fucking atrocious yeah it was a really rough start to the game um I think we, as fans, had a lot of high hopes, you know, sort of the first game on our, of our less difficult run uh, against mid-table opposition, and we absolutely did not meet expectations. Um, we were getting battered by Leeds in a way reminiscent of how we played in that first half against Anfield, when they were just having shot after shot and chance after chance, and like I was completely on edge watching... There was a moment, I think, in the first 10 minutes where one of our defenders played a back pass to Gaeta with, like, more force than would ever be appropriate and somehow it almost, yeah. like, went in as an own goal. And I was like, oh, my God, we are truly under the cosh and we just could not get out every time. It was um, as if our players didn't have leg muscles in that when we tried yeah. to play the ball, it would just sort of go straight back to them. And there was another moment with Gaeta as well where... He like took a touch and was like just waiting for like ten seconds on the edge of his box and he got tackled. I mean that was a bit of a tongue in mouth, heart in mouth, whatever in mouth. Actually, don't quote me on that. But you get tongue the point. in mouth, tongue in mouth as it, as you'd expect it to be. Don't don't edit that out. Don't edit that out. Fuck it. Keep it. We move. Um, I'd be very worried if your tongue wasn't in your mouth because you know <laughs> story for another day. No, 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 Alex, don't go there. Anyway, anyway, um, yeah, very heart in mouth moment. Very much everything that shouldn't be in your mouth moment except for your whatevers um yeah it was an absolute clangor and it was uh, a first half that was absolutely laced with i mean we just struggled to deal with that pressure to be honest i think it was laced with all sorts but uh, the, i think the pressure was the was the toughest thing leads obviously yeah. they're no it, it's it's not um you know Bielsa's team is it but it's um very much a team that still works incredibly hard to be fair to them on and off the ball but particularly when they're on it they um they really attack as a unit and i think it really showed um but I want to backtrack a bit before we talk about um, the goal that they scored, because obviously that is off the back of that sustained pressure um, and some, some particular brilliance from Brendan Aronson, because you mentioned Schlupp there, who was the defender in question that passed. And obviously defender Schlupp, we don't normally hear that too often. Um, looking at the lineup, I mean, it was it was obviously a bold shout. Um, we saw Jalkem Anderson returning and I think he was... You know, again, not perfect, but I think he really recovered the ball well and um, drove like play from out deep as well, which I think was crucial at times. But aside from him coming back, it was a fairly unorthodox lineup. Uh, Mitchell was somewhat injured or strained, so he started on the bench and then eventually came on with Schlupp deputising and obviously looked quite shaky at times, certainly defensively. Um, and of course, the big talking point was Edouard kept his place, perhaps not surprised after scoring against Chelsea and then scored again. Um but obviously, Isaiah Delis uh, was was another big thing. Um, so, what did you make of the lineup? You know, and how did you think it reflected in 
in terms of that first part of the game, forget the rest of it, because obviously it came into its own, but how did you think that we really coped with this new change in approach? Um, well, Schlupp coming in for Mitchell, like Vieira said, uh, I think to Matt Wisnam pre, uh, pre-match, was not a tactical decision, so um, I think it was caused by Mitchell's fitness. But I think a lot of people, or at least I saw on Twitter, which, as we know, isn't actually that representative of the whole fan base, but the Palace um, base on Twitter seemed excited by the idea of Jeffrey Schlapp as a left back because I think for as long as we've been relying um, on Mitchell as a left back option and for all of his defensive strengths, his passing and ability to sort of play out under a press is very much under scrutiny. I think it's been a real weak point of us under Vieira as a possession based side. So I think a few of us were thinking maybe Jeff Schlapp could be the answer to that. Maybe Vieira's offering Mitchell a challenge, or at least we thought that before uh, yeah. Matt, Matt Wisdom came out with that. But Schlupp kind of struggled. Like, he had a few nice moments where he bombed forward, drove to the byline, and then I think both crosses were a bit hopeless, to be fair. But he had a few nice moments where he showed why playing a more attacking player at fullback can be beneficial. But I'd say he was a lot more absent. He didn't have an impact. He You can't really remember anything Jeff Schlupp did in that game whilst... I'd say with Mitchell, there are at least one or two tackles where you can recall him doing something excellent. And when he got subbed on eventually, um, he did that job really well. I remember one moment where he closed down uh, the Leeds winger, I can't remember who, and it sort of blocked a cross or a shot out for a corner and it was sort of expert defending. And I think that's what Mitchell brings over, over Schlapp. Yeah, very good analysis as always. Um, you know, uh, we, I obviously assumed it was a fitness thing. I can't lie, I completely missed that Woosnam update, but then I've been taking a break from Twitter, interestingly, which is probably bad considering it's, you know, one of the main platforms we operate on at the Palace Way, but hey, hey, um, that's a story for another time. It was, yeah, not anymore, not anymore. Um, it was very much uh, uh, something I slipped, but, um, you know, it was it was still a really good thing to to see from an experimental standpoint, you know, obviously it wasn't tactical, it was enforced, but it nonetheless brings a whole myriad of questions about how Schlupp actually operates in that role. So, you know, as you say, I don't think Schlupp did anything memorable other than potentially score an own goal and occasionally make these marauding runs that weren't really backed by the team in terms of um, the supporting runs. But, you know, it was something that was a bit of an experiment in terror at times, but otherwise it's something that the fans have been crying out for. You know, I think it's good that we can at least see what he's made of in that role and got a taste of that. Um, would I have him over Mitchell? Not really based on that performance, but I think it's, I mean, if nothing else, it's nice to see Vieira's thinking on that problem that, you know, if Mitchell is injured, who do we really bring in as a first choice option um, to cover? Eze and Elise was obviously an interesting combo. I'm going to leave Eze because um, obviously he scored the winning goal and we'll talk about that in due course. Um, but even before Elise gets his assist for Palace's uh, equaliser, um, what did you think? And like, forget the goals, forget the assists, because again, we'll get onto that. But what did he offer overall in that midfield role? Because he's not used to playing a deep role, is he? Well, it's tricky, right? I mean, uh, against Chelsea, the Elise as a midfield combo seemed to actually work. Um, yeah. Which, like we spoke about last week, is surprising considering their sort of physical. Uh, and defensive abilities, but I thought they um, did well against Chelsea. Against Leeds, less so. Um, you'd think for such a technically strong midfield duo, they'd be good in possession, but we were really struggling in that first half, like we've like we've mentioned, um, to retain possession. Every time that we thought we'd 
you know, scrambled the ball clear, they just immediately lose the ball and we're under pressure again. So mm. Elise, I think Eze did fine, but Elise um, as a midfielder wasn't really having an impact at all. Uh, and then I think Vieira noticed that and swapped him with Ayu into uh, with Elisa going to right wing and Ayu going to sort of that box to box role and that definitely improved us, um, which wasn't surprising to anyone. So a bit odd that we didn't start with that. Um, like I know Elise can play traditionally as a cam and has done so in the past, but with the way Ayu was played. Uh, Newcastle away as a box-to-box in the second half, you sort of expect him to be the player in that midfield role instead of uh, Elise. So the fact that Vieira had to make that swap wasn't really surprising. Um, and the fact it yielded good results-ish, um, it's kind of hard to judge because of the whole IU concussion thing. But yeah, it's promising. It's promising. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I I agree. I mean, I, I think it was clear that obviously a slight reshuffle was needed, but I kind of wonder if I oh, you can have this like Joel Linton-esque arc, and I don't want to talk about Newcastle too much, but obviously, um, and anyone, anyone looking at this league knows that Joel Linton has gone from a struggling forty million pound Brazilian striker to someone who is a superb box to box midfielder. Still not worth um, forty million though. <laughs> no, he's not. But again. Um, they've at least, I think, redeemed him in some way for that price tag because he's at least offering value to that team. Um, you know, he's slotting in quite comfortably and he's showing that he can adapt in that role and he's done quite well. Um, once you take the pressure away for him to score goals and all he's got to do is sort of break up play, shuttle, be a bit physical and just be fairly well-rounded in, in a general sense, um, he's sort of come into this new lease of life. And my only real big take was that maybe I think this isn't just a flash in the pan that we saw at Newcastle, but maybe... There is a case here that that's where Ayu's future could lie, particularly to get older, obviously. And remember that he's going to be less incisive of age and um, his breakaways are going to be less uh, potent. So, you know, maybe there is a case here that Ayu is kind of a makeshift midfielder and that maybe you can use him and Elise on the right wing interchangeably with each other and that there is scope to kind of make it quite fluid in that on that right hand side. So I think we'll be seeing more of it. Um, but I want to move on just to their goal, because as we mentioned and alluded to, um, for all Palace's attacking gusto and good passing later on, we really get dominated in that in that first 10-20 minutes and it really culminated, I think, with um, a superb piece of play. So for those that didn't catch it, I mean, the highlights really speak for themselves, but uh, Brendan Arison, American sort of wonder talent who, I'll be honest, I doubted. I mean, he used, what, 35 million quid? He'd only really broken through at Salzburg a bit and had obviously some good Champions League pedigree under him, but... You know, it was only sort of just making his mark. So to then get such a big move to lead, I was always doubtful that, you know, he'd really adjust to it. But um, he's been superb in the Premier League and he's already got a handful of goals and plenty of flair to his name. So he sort of is the... Uh, I think he was playing in the out-and-out cam role. Um, and if he wasn't, well, he certainly acted like it when uh, when he came and really did all the hard work for Strauch's opener. Um, he shimmers his way sort of off the flank, but mostly shuttling through the centre... Um, and basically is marked by about four Palace defenders, it feels like, before breaking free and eventually having a punt at Guaita, which helplessly falls off the post, only to then meet Pascal Strike, who is in the perfect place to, uh, to well, strike it, um, past a helpless Palace defence to make it 1-0 to Leeds. Um, what did you make of that goal, first and foremost? It's probably quite bad defending, I think, um, to let someone just 
walk through the entire team. Yeah, it felt that way. It was a lot of players trying to close him down. It was crazy. It was weird. It just felt really... um, Like, you know, when you're sort of playing five a side and there's just that one academy baller who's just destroying everyone? Yeah. We did not look prepared. I mean, that sort of applies to that entire sort of first half. Um, We've been quite slow to start games, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. If you look at Arsenal, uh, then Liverpool, Leeds... I think we were getting dominated in Newcastle as well. Villa, obviously, we went behind oh, yeah. before scoring. The only game when we really started off well was City away. Um, and, and I guess Chelsea as well. But, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a weird goal because Aronson's sort of gone through a lot of people. It's really disappointing defending from gay, which is something I'm not used to saying. Yeah, um, it was gay. Yeah, I'm looking it back. Yeah, it was gay. I think... It's then poor defending after it hits the post as well. Ward getting nutmegged on the line. Um, heavily juxtaposes his past as a Palace player. Mm. You know, famed for his um, goal line Magical goal line, yeah. Watford yeah. In, the, in the playoff final, West Ham last season. In that game where Gallagher got those two goals. Uh, there's more, right? There's more. I can't believe I'm not thinking of one now. Um, but Joe Warden goal line clearances, it's a thing. So him sort of getting nutmegged was almost like a symbol of how far we've fallen or how far <laughs> it had felt we'd fallen. Uh, I think that's a probably a better way of saying off. it. Yeah, yeah, because that that was a pretty grim start to the game. You know, it was one of those moments where everyone's thinking, "Oh God, are we screwed?" And yeah, that's basically just how I feel about it. It's one of those goals where. It's another case of someone just walking through us. It happened uh, at City with Bernardo Silva and it happened with Luis Diaz at Liverpool. I, I just keep on spotting patterns in the goals we're conceding, you know? It's sort of... We're not responding quick enough to people going through us. Do you want to know what made that goal worse for me? What did? I was uh, I was coming home, actually. I've been staying with my parents just for some time off work, basically. So I was on this kind of holiday, coming back on the train... And uh, I'm sort of streaming it on whatever 4G I can get. And when that goal went in, I just pulled into fucking slough, as if my day couldn't get any worse. Yikes. Genuinely, bad, like, complete car crash. I should say train wreck, but, you know, it just went from bad to worse. Not only does Strike do that, but I'm in fucking slough. Anyway, um, yeah, it was, it was, you know, hats off to him. He was in the right place at the right time. I don't really think that... You know, don't get me wrong, Ward obviously gets nutmeg, not great. Guaita, again, a bit helpless. Um, the real, I mean, it's Aronson that is the problem with that goal. You take away Aronson's superb individual play and inability to really shut him out and the goal doesn't happen fundamentally. But, you know, I don't think um, Pascal Strauch is really closed down enough at all. Um, he gets a really clean strike on the ball, obviously, and has pretty much all the time in the world to set himself because as much as I think one, I think it's Elise, but I'll have to double check, but... Um, as much as we have a player scrambling across to close him down, I I think it's too little too late. He's not really picked up in the same way. I think everyone's so panicked about what's going on towards the back that they can't foresee that there's a marauding left back coming through. And um, obviously, I think he started pretty much every game from Leeds left back as well. You know, he's holding down a role there and he wasn't always a left back. You know, he's played CDM and centre back mostly as this kind of dynamic sort of defensive Reed of Aldas player that's now finding his feet. So, you know, the Dutchman was flying in all accounts. And, uh, oh, God. Um, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, God, indeed. I don't know if that's groaning at the pun or the thought of, like, another gyro, but, oh, well. 
The pun. I, I, it, the pun. Okay. Oh, <sighs> Although the idea uh, of another gyro is equally terrifying. Hopefully, Strout doesn't become a <laughs> fat middle-aged freeloader. But I, I pretty much get paid to write puns these days. At least when I am writing. That's a, again very much another story. Um, for those that are wondering what I do, I don't run those shit jokes you get on like a penguin biscuit. But uh, yeah, you sure I, that seems exactly up your street. Are you calling me a clown? Yeah, I've thought so. Uh-huh. I'm not gonna lie. We, we um, took a bit of piss out of the uh, one last roll of the dice article title for Juan Bissaka. Oh, I was shameless, but like when when I make a pun like that, I know exactly what I'm doing. Like it, it is, it is shameless. It is like roll your eyes, bad, good. You know, it, it's so bad, it's good, which is why you like it. And equally, what else was I gonna call it? Something boring. It's like nah, 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 nah. Everyone can appreciate a shit pun. So, fuck it, we bore. Um. Yeah, anyway, moving on from puns, Flying Dutchman, Strauk striking, strike Strauking. Um, Palace basically redeemed themselves for a large portion of the game. I mean, obviously the first half wasn't so great. Um, we managed to get back into it, but it still felt quite fluky and like we were we were coming out second best. We, we didn't really retain the ball as well. Um, we struggled with their pressing um, and we still were far from off the hook, but... In the interest of time, we'll, we'll skip ahead to the goals, I think. Um, looking at Palace's equaliser, I mean, it sort of comes from nothing. We, uh, I think Liam Cooper gives away a needless free kick on the edge of the box. Story of Leeds, really, with giving away needless free kicks. Yeah, I mean, it, it was there was a lot of that, actually. Um, and we were physical ourselves. We were combative, and I know on Leeds Twitter, there's a lot of controversy about, I think, Decore, um for not getting a second yellow for a foul. Um, but I certainly know that pundits and uh, journalists up in Leeds were really critical of Liam Cooper generally um, for his needless fouling. He stood out as one of their villains. And it was, funnily enough, yeah, one of his fouls that gives, sets up the free kick for Elise. Um Sort of fouls on the edge of the box after Palace sort of break down the right and then um, plants basically the perfect opportunity for a floater. Um, and I'm not talking about the shit kind of floater, I'm talking about the wonderful kind of floater. Elise, he's standing over it in true fashion. We know he can whip them in. Think West Ham last season at home. Um, we know he's a good he's a good dead ball player. Um, and obviously, you know, we have the whole crowd line up. Um, very physical. Everyone's marshalling one another. Elise takes one look at it. He takes a single solo strike with a lot of finesse, whips it in, and then an outstretched Edouard is able to just about get his head to it, break past his man, and basically get a lot of bounce on it beyond the reach of Villarmelier. Um what did you make of the goal? I know it's a question I ask a lot, but I think there's always something to talk about with goals. Take me through it. Well, before um, Elise had even taken the free kick, I said to my dad, this is going in. Admittedly, I said, <laughs> it's going to be Mark Gay. But the only reason I said that was because the position and seeing Elise standing over it reminded me so much of Hartlepool when Mark Gay sort of prodded that um, Elise cross in. I mean, it was and... a really good position, wasn't it? I think that really helps. I mean, the way he'd stood up to take that, and you could tell he was in his comfort zone with that one more than others. You know, obviously you get a lot of dead balls far out. Um, you get a lot of tight angles and things, but that was prime Elise territory, wasn't it? I was Exactly. That's exactly what I was about to say is that is the ah. area of the pitch we're now <laughs> going to call Elise territory because it's where he sort of has that impact, you know, with crossing, because that's a real strong point for him. Uh, corners less so. At least his corners are a bit suspect. But back to the goal, um, I think there's a lot of exciting things there. I think uh, Edward scoring consecutive games for the first time, uh, or maybe the second time because he scored in Norwich, and 
uh, West Ham last season, my bad, at uh, the turn of the year. But second time he's scored a goal in consecutive games then. And it's a, another goal from across, a poacher's sort of goal. And that's something we've been missing, um, something that Benteke couldn't do consistently. And it's becoming a trademark of Edward. Maybe he's less about having the ball at his feet now. And it's more about the one-touch finish, which is perhaps the evolution of strikers. I'm sort of thinking about Haaland when I say that. But mm. it's also a goal from set-piece, which is something... Defending set pieces has been the weakness, but also scoring from them. I think the other one we have this season is Anderson um, against City. And then before that, I think Mateta's header against Everton when we sort of got that perfect turnaround done to us. But I don't know. It's it's a goal that says a lot about how we're changing as a side. We're um, sort of exploring new ways to uh put the ball in the back of the net and edward being the one to do it is always uh, a great thing after sort of a painful year for him yeah it was it was a really lackluster first season i mean i say that he it wasn't abysmal i mean he got six goals but obviously matata has um i would say obviously until recently this is it's not changed i'd argue but Matata has generally been accepted as a more clinical striker, basically. He's the one that seems more trusted to bang in the goals. But Edouard now is 2-2. Two two, and as you mentioned, it was it was simply sublime in the way he was able to get the bounce and the contact just right, to stay on side as well. Obviously, there was a lengthy VAR check. Um, I wasn't in doubt, by the way, even on my phone in Slough when I was looking at it. By the way, I, I understand why they checked it. But for me, I mean, I don't think there was much question. The only thing that was arguably offside was a thing he couldn't score with anyway. So... You know, it was always going to stand. And uh, most importantly, it was, yeah, I think a really good redemptive moment after a poor first half and uh, uh, certainly a first season that left uh, as many questions as answers with Edward, I think. So um, it would be wonderful for his confidence, I think, to be scoring again like that, wouldn't you think? Yeah, um, he's definitely been looked down upon compared to Matessa because Matessa seemed to have that end product, but... Edward this season just has a bit more of a um I don't know what the actual word is. He just seems more clinical, basically. I was gonna say like clinicality, yeah. clinicalism, what's the actual word? But I, I think his goal scoring instincts improved, and by that I mean he always seemed to have a tendency to just take one touch too many to try and create the perfect chance and it was so frustrating Matata yeah. who I don't think is ever going to be as complete as Edouard but the one thing Matata has always done at Mines even and was so good at was just taking one touch and just smashing it and taking a chance and that reaped rewards because he was so much more willing to just take his take his punts and it's it's the whole cliche, isn't it, about, you know, if you don't win the ticket, you can't buy the lottery. Well, Matata bought a lot more tickets than Edouard last season and won a few more lotteries. It really is that simple. I think if Edouard was more willing to buy those tickets, I think we wouldn't even be having this debate, frankly. But I think, you know, his his inability to really back himself in, in sort of the half chances, I think, is costing him goals. It's costing the team goals, most importantly. And I think what we've seen from both of the goals he's taken is a well-roundedness, you know. Obviously, the goal against Chelsea was, you know, it was a masterstroke of individual ability. I mean, he basically makes the goal himself, doesn't he, as we discussed in the last episode. And then this time, it's just, yeah, brilliant, brilliant ability to break past his man. But whilst also staying on side, it just showed great positional awareness and aerial ability. Um, I do feel bad for Matessa. Like, I know, do. Just I, he looks still like a, a drunk donkey on ice when he's playing <laughs> football. Doesn't mean, you know, the guy just doesn't, get the love now, apart from that one guy on twitter who is unbelievably odd and has a weird obsession with Jairo <laughs> Riedewald no one seems to really rate Mateta but you see thousands of people saying Edward in or 
you know, we've got to give Edward a chance. He's the most complete striker at the club just because he looks a bit more sort of technically adept and just looks a bit smoother when he's playing. But yeah, they've got sort of similar goal contributions and I still don't think we should rule out playing the two of them in like a strike duo if we're ever missing Will for um, Eze. We could sort of stick one of those two on the left and at least they on the right and play in a 4-4-2 because it worked against Liverpool. I've said it so many times. It worked against Liverpool in January um, we got scammed by the ref. Like we need to try that again because it, we looked really good in that second half when we changed that formation. Just yeah, a it's, tangent. No, no, it's not a tangent. It's, it is it is valid. Um, you know, the whole Eduardo Boteta debate is ongoing. I mean, there's no Benteke to kind of be edgy about now. There's no one to go. Actually, Benteke is better than both. Actually, you know, um, none of that. So it is a straight run. We have two and out and out and out strikers, and that's what we need, I think. And. I have to agree. I mean, I've always, as we established in that famous, famous debate episode, um, I think we're all Team Edward fundamentally, but don't get me wrong, I really like Matata still. I think um, he, he has a really, like, as, as I've just said, I think his goal-scoring instinct is um, fantastic. And when others have perhaps liked that, he stepped up and filled in the gap with goals. Um, it's something that, frankly, we need, not just from a depth perspective, but a differential perspective. I think... You know, when you look at them, I think if there's one thing we can all agree on in true harmonious fashion, it's that, you know, Zaha, Ayu, Edward, Matata, all of these players add something slightly different. You know, there's obviously crossover in strengths, but all of them are very different players to one another. And when they all play together, there is something that um, that complements. Um, it's just a case that we can't really fit it all in and play the way that Vieira wants us to. Anyway, moving on from a key flashpoint... We skip forward to the second half, Bruno. Will you take me through the general pattern of play and then take us up to the next goal? Well, at halftime, Vieira made that tactical switch to swap Elise and uh, Ayu, and that yielded pretty good results. I think we started to gain a foothold in the game, sort of retain possession a lot better than we were in the first half. Um, and that gave us an opportunity to create more chances. I think Schlupp. He got subbed off quite quickly, but in the time he was on the pitch, maybe had a little bit more of an attacking impact because we had more of the ball. Um, Elise actually had quite a quiet game despite the assists, but had his opportunities to shine a little bit more, although I don't feel like we sort of saw the best of him. Um, The people who benefited most in that second half was honestly probably our centre-backs because all of a sudden Anderson had that extra time to play a long ball, which of course eventually led to that goal when Edward touched it down beautifully. Um, subbing on Mitchell helped us. I think Vieira for once played his um, sort of timing and substitution cards really well. Yeah. Um, you know, bringing on Mitchell for Schlupp is sort of the opposite of a normal change we'd make. Um, but Mitchell coming on allowed us to both be more defensively solid, but also, by increasing our defensive solidity, means that we didn't ha- meant that we didn't need to have anyone covering for where Schlupp would have been. So we were able to push a few more players forward, and that, in combination with the extra possession, sort of gave us the um, sort of motivation and ability to create the chances, which eventually led to the goal. There we go. Got there eventually. <laughs> well done, by the way. That was surprisingly slick. Um, that's not me impairing your ability and slapping it down and all that. It's just that was a really good summary, to be honest, of of, um, of how it flowed. As you say, I think um, Vieira got a lot right. Um, 
in that half in terms of how he actually managed the game. And then I think obviously the players at the end, again, we'll get onto that, but they, they did their part too. There was a lot of positives to take and the system obviously was changed up a little bit. It seemed to pay off for the most part. Um, so take me to the Eze goal. I mean, we we see exactly what's happened. You know, obviously there's been a bit of a switch around. Um, long ball from Anderson goes down to Edouard and Zaha then comes in on the left and eventually, and take me through it. I mean, there was so much to unpick with that. It was a really pretty good team goal in many ways. Leeds have themselves to blame because it all comes from a, a free kick that they conceded in our half. And then yeah. Anderson does what Anderson does, you know, beautiful long pass. Edward, brilliant touch. Something that I was critical um, of him for, sort of not being as good at taking a ball down as Mateta, who sort of has that physical presence and height to be that target man. So it's good seeing Edward doing that. He then lays it off, uh, I think, to Mitchell, which is good as well from him coming forward, being involved in, in an attack. And then he plays it to Zaha, beautiful flick, as a round his man. And I think that's his trademark finish, you know. Um, we've seen... Mm. A few Eze goals, and in a similar position, his one against Wolves in his first season. You know, it's not exactly in the corner, but it's got a bit of power to it. So it's not quite in the corner, but the keeper just can't even die for it, you know? It's low and driven. Yeah, It's low certainly. and driven. Um, that's sort of the type of finish I imagine Eze doing, alongside, obviously, the finesse that we saw him do against Sheffield. But yeah, what's exciting about the two goals... Um, that we scored on Sunday is that the goal scorers and the assisters were all members of our Fab Four. So Wilf, Edward, Elise, Eze. Yeah, um, that's very and true. And Mitchell being involved in the build-up for the second as well is um, equally exciting. I think that, I don't want to know, I can't calculate in my head what the average age is of those players, but if you factor out Wilf, it's probably like 22 or something, which is crazy good. Um, it's a really exciting um, combination and that we have at our club right now with our attackers. So hopefully we can continue to do that. Um, what did you think of the goal? I mean, it's beautiful, but what more? Oh, fantastic. There? I mean, obviously there was a lot of teamwork in the build-up. Um, I think it exemplified what this team is capable of in terms of passing, genuinely. Um, we've had our moments, both this season and last season, where it's not quite clicked. And I think that was an example where it was a great example of everything coming together. Um, it really is that simple. Um, but forgetting the build-up, I mean, if nothing else, I think as a... The, the one thing you haven't touched upon, I think he did a particularly brilliant job at dummying the shot. Um, yeah. He kind of mugs off. I think it's Rasmus Christensen, who actually, again, I quite rate. Um, uh, but he was done there. And he had a good game, actually, against Palace, statistically. He was very, very good, um, particularly with Wilf. Um it's. I found it quite funny that Leeds decide, almost decided. I know they didn't actually decide, but they almost. It looked as though they just stopped caring about the left, our left hand side. Suddenly, like Christensen had a great game against Zaha for most of the game, and then in the last sort of fifteen minutes or so, we have about three big runs on the left or something. It yeah. was. It was. A, it was crazy, and obviously the goal was one of them. Um, Zaha has loads of space to sort of drifted into the edge of the box, which Eze takes full advantage of. Um, and speaking of Christensen, yeah, so Eze, going back to the main point, um, just dummies him, sends him to the floor. Christensen, who, again, but be it on the right, or actually in the centre, eventually. It's Liam Cooper. Oh, is it Liam Cooper? I assumed yeah. it was Christensen. I thought he drifted in. My apologies. Um, yeah, no, Christensen had a good game, but obviously Cooper gets dummied and done. God, he does um, a 360. I'm just watching it in slow-mo now and ends up on the floor. That is humiliating. That's a 360. 
See, I never actually spotted this. He gets spun and ends up on his knees because Eze just completely sends him. See, I uh, I watch these highlights like before the pods, and I'm always trying to check out and find new angles. And I still didn't spot that. I knew he got to spun, but I kind of just left it at that. I never picked up on how badly he got done. Um, no wonder all the pundits were saying he had a bad game because he. You could argue that for both our goals, he's played a part in um, putting Leeds in danger and really kind of falling short of the standard that you would hope that your starting centre back would have at your club. So. You know, it's it's one of those days at the office for him, but, you know, I don't care, basically, because I'm not a Leeds fan. So, um, poor, poor, super-duper Liam Cooper and all that. Um, he gets absolutely done. Um, and, yeah, as you said, um, it's a trademark finish from Eze. It's something he's clearly quite good at. Um, but what I really like about the fact that he dumb is... Um, Liam Cooper is that he gives it, it gives him more time to think about the placement and coincidentally less time for everyone else to react to it I think Eze has a lot more time to poise himself physically you can see the way he strikes it I mean it's so accurate and driven and to get both it requires a lot of technique not just instinctively but the time to actually set yourself properly and I think you know arguably it's a half chance but you'd have to rely on him squeezing it between defenders um, you know, he'd have much less time to actually balance himself so I think by doing that and taking a chance that eventually paid off the dividend that it pays is, aside from the goal itself, the fact that it's um, so much more likely to come off as a shot, you know, as it happens, we know it did, but you get the point, you know, if that had been saved or blocked, you know, no one can say he didn't have a good chance himself, it would probably been a bit of keeping brilliance, but, you know, otherwise you're kind of taking a punts again, and that sometimes just isn't enough to win you a game, so he took a chance and it paid off by giving himself extra time to set himself, and... Palace were all the happier for it. And one big last thing I'd like to end on with that goal is the heartwarming tweet that young Philly put out. Um, to the effect of, you know, my friend plays with the club I support and I've just watched him score and win the game. Um, you know, expressing fervent pride at him. Obviously, young Philly. Um, I actually don't watch him personally, but he's a Bromley boy and I'm a Bromley boy. I've always got time for that. And um, he's been long affiliated with the club. Obviously, as I've just alluded to, he's a big Palace fan. He's done content for the club. You're going to get a bit of... Um... Bit of backlash for that one, considering he was seen bigging up Brighton kits and. Was know, he? Yeah, I missed he's, that. He's a bit. He's a bit of a dodgy figure. Like I, I love um sort of YouTubers being being into Palace and promoting that, but sometimes and uh, his was it Richard Reactpour who had a bit of a yeah that I know about that yeah. I didn't know about Young Philly because I I assumed that he, he obviously is a local lad I assumed he'd grown up. Um, with Palace I mean, I don't know the ins and outs other than that he's been doing a lot of content with the club and obviously speaks quite glowingly of it and most importantly him, has quite him, a, but it's just a he's bit. got a good relationship with Ebbs so I I, I yeah. found it particularly heartwarming that when he tweeted about that that pride is like forget whether he's a real fan or not I mean at the end of the day I, I love that he's gone out of his way to just express his pride as a it's a, it's a proper bromance it's uh yeah it's sweet and I, I think that um added to the feel-good factor around his goal. It was very, very wholesome. But moving on from that, you guys will have to enlighten me, by the way, on Twitter. You can angrily tweet me your uh, disgust at me not knowing about Go that. Go on, I knew about... your Twitter. I know you want to. I... You know I uh, I deleted Punchin's Belt. You what? I deleted Punchin's Belt. Did you not that's know? That's a shame. No, I didn't know. That's, that's absolutely devastating. I was using that account to sort of rip off jokes and post them elsewhere. <laughs> My genius is natural. It's a, it's only a compliment that you'd wanna you wanna steal it, of course. Um, yeah. So I actually yeah I took it down. Um, but you can still follow my main at acjonesy one. Uh, I used to be a sports writer, and that is the account I used to basically keep in touch with colleagues. And it's it's basically my professional face 
I had uh, Punched Spelt as well, but that was my shit talking account, and I basically just wasn't using it anymore. It wasn't really adding anything, so I got rid of it. Um, but yeah, I still I still am technically on Twitter. It's just that I don't um, go down the rabbit holes so much, and probably should if I'm running this podcast. But hey, that's 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 a me problem. That's not a you guys problem. Um, right, I will move forward in the interest of time. Um, just to end, obviously. Let's look at the wider context here. I don't want to dwell too much on the run ahead, but I think it's important we talk about it um, nonetheless. Huge three points at Palace gets us a little bit back up the table and stops us looking over at the relegation zone a bit for a short while. Um, coming up next, we have a bang out of form Leicester side. Obviously got their first win against Forest the other week, but uh, nonetheless still struggling to really get any kind of strong form and look incredibly frail at the back. Um, not least because Danny Ward doesn't know how to save a Word document, let alone a shot in the Premier League. Um so, Bruno, what do you think this game really symbolises in this run? Is it the start of something great? Do we need this momentum? Is it going to be a classic case of stop, start, stop, start with Palace? Or do you think there's a real chance here that the, the worst is behind us, at least for a time, and that we can really start to hoover up points that, on paper at least, and let's remember the game's never played on paper, but points that on paper look easier to pick up. If I'm honest, I have never felt comfortable going away to the King Power. It's one of those stadiums like St. James's Park where you just, uh, or Ellen Road where you never really feel like you've got a chance of winning um, mm. I think the last time we got a victory there was 1819 and we won that 4-1 game 4-1, yeah, yeah. I mean, we, had, we, had a, we had a good Ooh. run against Leicester early Roy with that 5-0 and the 3-0 and um, that 1-0 as well when Lucas scored that screamer in 1819 I think his first game but yeah, that I don't was know a- because we sort of yeah. tumbled away um, in terms of our form at the King Power. And even though they're in a really bad place right now, I think they would have sacked Rogers um, if not for this obscene reported um, separation fee. Um, either like 10 or 20 mil or something ridiculous. So, yeah, it's a hard one. Um, I think if we can... It's going to sound really bad, but like if we have solid away support, I reckon we can probably get something out of it. But like we weren't impressive the last time we went up there. Um, they're a different team. Ah, it's tricky. Honestly, it is, I'm just it going is. to say, yeah. yeah, we can do it. Like If we get a win against Leicester, I back us to go on a bit of a run, uh, and God knows we need it, so... Mm. Yeah, hopefully that turns out well. I can't really make any predictions. What do, what do, you, what do you think? Yeah, I'll be bold in my prediction. But before we get there, um, yeah, I think you've summed it up. Um, I think if they were going to do something with Rogers, they would have done it now. I think he'll be in the dugout by the time we play them. I don't think there's much doubt on that. Um, it'd be brilliant if they do sack him, though, because we'll, we'll put this out. And I, I, I want it to stay as is. I don't want this to be something that we go back on if it happens, um, just so we can laugh at ourselves. But anyway... Um, yeah, they are a different side. I mean, on the one hand, James Madison looks amazing. Patson Dacker is in good form as well. You know, they've got players that are individually outstanding for them and we know shouldn't be taken lightly. And yet they just look so devoid of identity and ideas in many areas. And the defending is, hor- is horrific. Defending I mean, is what- terrible. They've got this one centre-back who I've never noticed playing for them before. But whenever I watch them conceding a goal, he seems to be at the heart of it. Um, uh, is it the new one, Valt Feist? Yeah, Belgium. him. He looks absolutely dog shit. Yeah, Genuinely. I mean they. Yeah, I mean they signed him to fill the Fafana void, and you do forget that when you sign a player 
for a reasonable fee to replace one that you've sold for a much larger one, you've got to account for quality. And he's not really shown it. Um, but this isn't a Talk LFC, LC, FC, whatever, you know what I mean, podcast. Yeah. Let's, um, we'll skip over that. But definitely, I, I think it is worth raising, as you say, that there is a frailty there. Um, he came on against Spurs in that 6-2. Six, six two. Two. Yeah. Um, that was his first start and was at fault for at least a couple of the goals. Um, there's one in particular against Son where he gets absolutely done. Um, anyone can have a bad day, but I, I still think he, again, is a very average defender. And have fun against there's... Wilf. Sorry? Have fun against Wilf. Yeah, Wilf, oh God. The... That's, th- this is what encourages me. You see, I'm kind of talking myself into it, and I, I want to be realistic and say like a 1-1 draw would be my prediction. But I, actually, I'll revise that. I, I think we can come away with a 2-0 win. No, I, I think we're good enough. I think we need to back Three ourselves one. here. 3-1 one or 2-1, two two one. that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, sensible. Okay, um, I, I, my thinking is that basically, you know, we're due a win against them. I know that doesn't mean anything, but it's it's true. Um, at the end of the day, you know, they've got a lot of issues we can exploit, and I think we're a team that should be looking on the up. You know, we've looked at the run of games and thought, right, guys, let's galvanize around this. There's a real chance here to go pick up something. We must believe in our own quality again. That's the other thing. I think that game against Leeds gave us a lot of optimism again. It's been such a rough wave to ride. Did we ride it as well as last season's tough start? Not really, but at the same time, I don't think we should be ashamed of the six points we took from eight games or nine games. Um, and I think, not eight, nine, however many, you get the point. Um, you know, there were some really tough fixtures and we came out not embarrassing ourselves, to say the least. Um, which I suppose is all we could hope for. And I think Leicester is a chance to really, again, to see if we can build momentum and, and again, a litmus test of what direction we're heading in. Arguably any game is, but again... You know, it's one of those ones, isn't it, where you're looking at the run we've got, you're thinking how many points can we get here. Um, you're not really looking at games, and I don't think this team ever does, where you're thinking, right, we've got no chance, we need to go back against the wall. That's not the attitude that this team has, which is a big seismic shift from the Roy era. But nonetheless, I think you've got to be looking at this run, even as a player, and thinking, if I don't take this opportunity by the horns, I'm letting my team down. That's why I think I think we'll come good at Leicester. I think it's because I think we're going to go into optimism and a sense of belief that we've not really had. I think Leicester's form is no coincidence either. I think there's a lot of frailties there, a lack of belief, a lack of identity and shape. I think the manager is losing the plot tactically and he keeps experimenting. I think a combination of these things is creating a perfect storm here, but as always, storms break. That is my ramble. (laughs) Nah, respect the optimism, honestly. Um, I find it hard these days, considering... The slightly duller brand of football we've been playing this season, but if anyone can sort of unlock our good side, it's Leicester uh, in their current form. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually feel for Leicester fans. I, I like them as a club. I know not everyone does. I personally think, you know, they're they're bigger than people realise. I think their fans are fairly solid. And they. I'm just surprised more than anything else. Forget feelings or anything like that. I, my only real feeling is that I think a team like them should be doing better. A bottom line, it's it's a fact, in fact, that I think everyone can see. You look at the quality they've got, and I suppose my only tone of pessimism here is that, all right, I've been talking ourselves up in a bit of a strange ramble about, you know, the opportunity that lies before us. But actually, you know, this isn't just a walk in the park. We can't be so arrogant as to assume they're going to roll over. They're a team that is like, they're like cornered rats, fierce, crafty, backed against the wall, right? They they need to start picking up points, and they know it. Um Forrest was a step in the right direction only to then go backwards. So, you know, when you've got players like Madison that make things happen that are excellent on set pieces, you've got Dakar and Vardy and 
all sorts of other threat. You know, they're they're not an impotent team. They're just a team that has vulnerabilities that can be exploited. But as always, it requires diligence. It requires um, a certain maturity in the way we go about it. And I think we started to show it in Leeds, particularly when we started time wasting and Guaita signaling to the ball boys and Ward's wasting time. You know, all these things are what makes a performance complete. And I think where we've missed that in other games, we showed it against Leeds. And I think if we learn those lessons, that's where it comes into its own. As always, we're both very grateful for you guys. Um, if you can leave us a positive review, you can say whatever you want. You can moan about anything you want. It really helps us if you just leave any, a comment or anything like that wherever possible. Um, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from. We'll be right back on a normal schedule uh, right after the Leicester game. Um, we're pleased, by the way, to be back on a normal schedule. That's something we haven't been able to say for a while. So well done for making that happen. Bruno, again, been a star working, I'd like to say around the clock, let's be honest, that's not really how you live, I don't expect you to, but you get the point, Bruno's been working diligently and hard to make sure that we get back up to speed, so we've released a very special transfer pod on the Chelsea pod, if you haven't listened to them, um, please do go back and listen to them, put a lot of time into it, and we had some very special guests on for the transfer window, um, and yeah, other than that, there's nothing more to say to me than uh, farewell, up the palace, and hopefully we're talking about good news next time. I say that and I, I instantly, I, I've gone on this big optimism spur, haven't I, Bruno? And I don't really know why, because I know I just have this feeling we'll be sat here now, like a week from now saying, God, I, I, I thought Gay he was on the up or something or yeah, quite as fucked, isn't he? Or something, you know what I mean? I have this nasty feeling that, you know, in typical Palace fashion, Leicester will buy us back. But I will stick to my guns and remain optimistic. And on that bombshell, on that bombshell, that betrayal of my own tone, farewell, up the palace, and we'll see you in the next one.